Welcome to the Her Story Podcast, Son Histoire à Elle. I'm your host, Kathleen Stavert. Son Histoire à Elle est un balado bilingue qui met en valeur non seulement le succès des femmes du Québec, mais qui souligne leur pratique et leur vie de tous les jours. I'll be talking with creative, successful, and game-changing women who are inspiring and relatable in the ordinary and extraordinary lives they lead. Thank you so much for tuning in. Enjoy. Salut tout le monde. Hi everyone. Merci d'être de retour pour un autre épisode sur le podcast Son Histoire à Elle. I just want to make a little shout out to Julian at Beanduck Studios. Thank you so much for recording that intro and my outro. So we're currently in the Black Voices Matter series, and this week my guest is Mariah Inger. And Mariah is an actress, singer, producer, mentor, creator, and mother. Mariah has a very strong voice and a very strong screen presence, and in our conversation had some very poignant thoughts about racism and how it's been affecting her and her community. So we go really deep into representation in media and how important and immense this moment is in defining the next generation of creators and storytellers. It was a really great reminder that, well, it's about time we make space for ugly conversations. I really think you're going to enjoy this. If you do, please share it with a friend. Share, spread the word. Thanks so much. Love you. Hi, Mariah. Hello. Thank you so much for being on the Her Story podcast, finally. Well, thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm currently huddled in my closet. Where are you? I'm in my living room, but may end up in a closet because it seems like the construction's going to start soon. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's just, you know, the soundtrack of Montreal for you. Yeah, pretty much. Mariah, tell me, what's getting you up in the morning? What's getting me up in the morning? I would say the power or the desire to change. In what way? Um, I think, as you can tell, you know, the world is burning on many levels. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, and, you know, it took me a long time to get to where I am today. And instead of Uh, either just reveling in it or just even feeling the pressure of it, it gives me the desire to use what I've achieved and the troubles that I've overcome uh, to empower and to move forward and to force change. So I feel almost privileged to be, unfortunately, a survivor of a lot of <laughs> situations that are happening in the world. Uh, because I'm finally in a position to start being a person who creates change. So that's that's kind of where my focus is. And that gets me up in the morning. So on that note, once you wake up, what's a day in your life like? Because whenever I listen to podcasts or interviews with people, um, I'm really interested in, in what goes on behind closed doors. I'm a little bit of a Of white you know, hair, are you? <laughs> yeah, I guess you could call me that. Like, I love looking into people's homes in the evening when I'm walking down the street. 
Yeah. So <laughs> warning everyone, close your blinds. But, um, but I, I'm just really interested to like, just to relate with, with women and also just, you know, see what's different. And I'm really interested and we're going to just jump right in there. I'm really interested in knowing what, you know, what's, what's your day like and how do you use this, this um, desire for change of yours in your day-to-day life? Well, you know, obviously we have, you know, pre-COVID and post-COVID, you know, like it's yeah, we're, yeah. we're definitely different realities right now. Um, I would say during this particular time, um, my body tends to naturally wake up um, even before I think it should. <laughs> and, um, and I have a balcony door. I like my, my, my bedroom opens up to my larger balcony oh. and I spent maybe about two years. I'm on the third floor and I've, for the last two years, there's been a vine growing up on the side of my building. And oh. for the last two years, I've slowly like gone to the other balconies and brought it into their into their balcony so that it would continue to grow. And I finally have like a wall of vines. So now I wake up and I get to see a wall of vines that is slowly creeping over. And we've basically, my neighbor and I, we've created an archway. So I've got all this greenery. Um, So that's kind of like my magical place. I know a lot of people tend to, uh, especially when there's a lot of chaos in their world, you know, they tend to use forms of meditation or whatnot, you know, to kind of center themselves. Mm -hmm. And I'm very much a sun and plant person. Mm -hmm. And that pretty much is all I need. That and coffee, I will admit, (laughs) is what gets me going. So my day is very, my day is actually very relaxed when it comes to the start of it. I don't, I never have a put pressure on myself to uh, kind of be on the go. And if you're not on the go at a certain level, that it means that you failed or some, something like that. Is so that something, is that something that you had to condition yourself to, to learn or has that just been in your nature? No, I think it's definitely something that I had to condition, but because, you know, I was a young parent, I had my son at 19. um, So I had to, you know, adjust a lot very quickly. And I was responsible for another human being. So there was definitely kind of this drive under me all the time, because it wasn't about me, it was about the success of my child, it was about achieving things for my child, it was about working for my child, you know, it was always uh, making him in the forefront, which definitely meant that I had to be on the go 24-7 all the time and now he's a grown man and I think when he I mean probably way before that I would say probably when he was a teenager but around those years is when I started to go oh he has his own life. He's making some of his own decisions, you know, like I can, I kind of can let go of that drive. I've instilled what I've instilled. The rest he has to kind of create on his own because that's only natural. And I had to start looking at what my needs were and my needs I found I work very well under pressure and that's probably because I've always had that drive. I do work well under pressure, but I've learned that I have to come first. And I think that's, I think that's where kind of this, this revelation came and where I found kind of a peace for myself. So waking up doesn't become, 
you know, a stressful beginning of each day and, and kind of the tally of what have I accomplished or not accomplished today, it becomes whatever you didn't accomplish yesterday, you can try and accomplish it today. But if you don't, it's okay, because you've got tomorrow, like, you know, I've kind of given myself a balance in that. And in turn, it ends up not making me lazy and laid back, it actually makes me achieve more in many ways, because Mm -hmm. I don't have this psychological pressure that I'm not enough, or I'm not doing enough. So yeah, I open up my doors, look at the sun, get to, you know, hang out in the plants, talk to my cat, feed her, feed the fish. and And then I begin my day and I, and I just begin and I don't stop until it's done. That's just kind of my work ethic. So I do end up accomplishing a lot, but I don't stress myself while I'm accomplishing it. So your day when you're working comprises of anything. So you're, you know, just for um, context, you're an actor, a singer, a creator, a mentor, uh, <laughs> else that I'm like missing. Cause that's like a lot. Um, how are you not stressed out? Um, like, so how much do each of these things take up in your daily life or in your sort of in your work, work a day life? Okay. Well, you, as you know, as an actor, that just never stops. It's the yeah. ongoing process because even or it does you, <laughs> or it stops depressingly. Yeah. yeah. Um, we, won't, we won't dwell on that. Will no, we? no. But I, but I do feel like as an actor, you know, since, I started acting um, at the age of eight, but I've been a professional actor since 12. And so it's just part of the rhythm, right? And, And no matter how many contracts or how many gigs you get, you know that the very next job is to get the next one, right? So there's this... Uh, there's this constant need to, you know, lack of a better word, to continuously hustle and to continuously yeah. present oneself, you know, at the best capacity. So that probably never stops. But I think after 30 years of doing it, I think that's just kind of ingrained, you know, that's just kind of, and what that consists of on on just a kind of like a daily basis, it means that I'm always ready to go when it comes to auditions or preparation or studying lines or looking for new art that's out there, what's interesting, who's developing new stuff. Um, so I'm, I'm always paying attention and I'm always um, presenting myself as a supporter. And that, of course, ties me into my other skill sets and, and I guess you could say jobs at this point in my life, where as a mentor as a producer, creator, filmmaker, um, you know, I'm instantly, I'm always looking at what is the new material that's come out because I'm interested from behind the camera point of view. And I'm also interested as a mentor um, to see what's new and what's happening. And then I absorb that information also as an artist of what, what can I bring it to my own art, you know, mm-hmm. what works for me and what doesn't. Um mm-hmm. So as an actor, I think you just, I just think that's just a way of being, you know, I don't think it ever mm. stops. And, it, and I think as a creator, um, I'm a, I'm a huge, huge believer in collaboration. I'm a huge believer in encouraging the people beside me and behind me and in front of me, even if they have more skill sets than I do, because I think there's always something you can bring to the table. Um and I, so I'm, I'm 
looking at new films. I'm looking at new TV shows. I'm listening to what other people like. I'm looking at monologues that I think maybe, ah, maybe one day I'd do that monologue. You know, I'm, I'm constantly looking for the new thing. And then, and I, and, and I, I'm lucky enough to be in a position where I can start exploring those new ideas as a creator and a producer and a filmmaker. Then it allows me to also go, I, I mulled it over long enough. Now, let me put my pen to paper. Let me talk with my team and let's see if we can make something out of it. You know, that's, that's really interesting. Um, what is it about this time in your life that, that you, you say, you know, you just said that you're lucky enough to be in a position where you can, you can pull from, from inspiration and, and create something. So what is the, can you expand on that? What is that? And what is it about this time in your life that makes that possible? Well, I think first and foremost, uh, experience and age, you know, definitely plays mm-hmm. a huge part of it. Um, you know, I think as a young woman, uh, you know, the realities is, is that I'm, I, I, I was a single parent. So there's a lot of things that I had to, um, I fundamentally couldn't do just because I desired it or just because I had a great idea or just because I wanted to be creative. You know, the bill's got to get paid, girl. You know, yeah. the child has to be fed. So I had a lot of barriers. Um, and as you know, I'm, I'm a woman of color. So then, you know, if anybody doesn't understand, but in the industry in general, at least for the last 25 years, um, and way, way before, of course, uh, you know, most, most leading parts and most, you know, major players in the industry have always been typically white heterosexual men. Um, Mm. so as a woman in general, you already have, you know, quite a, quite a lot of, you know, um, check marks against you. And then, uh, as a woman of color, it's like even below that, you know, so there was only so many opportunities too. uh, the world is changing. It's changing very slowly. It's Mm. not changing quick enough by any means, but it is changing. So there are also just more opportunities. Um, but I, I realized a long time ago, I think I was probably about 26, 27 years old when it really hit me that for me to achieve certain goals that I wanted in life and 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 I guess a form of success that I thought was going to uh, help me propel uh, my career, but also to be able to kind of have a legacy for my son in some way, um, I would have to be kind of in charge of it um, because there was only so, so much that was going to be offered or, you know, kind of given opportunities to me. It, it, it fundamentally 25 years ago, it didn't even exist. And yeah. today things are starting to exist, but now everyone else who suffered like me is, is in the same boat. So we're all, you know, still hustling to get the, the very small crumbs that we've been offered. Um, so you start to think, how do you create, how do you change that? And I'm naturally a creator. Um, and I'm naturally somebody who isn't afraid of hard work, quite frankly. And, uh, you know, it sucks to say, but it's a reality. I've lived in poverty for so long that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, going after a goal and not necessarily getting the monetary success for it, uh, doesn't really deter me, right? It's actually quite simple for me. So by not making decisions based on financial success, but on 
creation success and visual success and and partnership success and all of those other wonderful things that can become a great creation and an art piece. Um, I didn't have the fear to try. And because of no fear, I've been able to try a lot. And I'm just lucky now that all the work I've put in in the last, you know, 12 years, I would say really in the last 12 years of really just taking risks and showing up to other people's shows and, you know, being present at meetings and, you know, having a voice and, and, you know, not being afraid of, of, you know, asking for change and all of those kinds of things. Um, I think for, for a good decade, it was just more like, Oh, there's Mariah again. Whereas now, people come to me and say, Hey, you've done this. I know you can do this. Can you help me, you know, uh, move forward because I've, I've gotten somewhat of a, of a success rate now, you know, but that's, that's from yeah, a lot there's, of um, work. <laughs> Yeah, there's, well, totally. I mean, it, it, it takes years, but I think it, it also comes from like just being fed up of, of the status quo at the time. And, mm-hmm. and, and it builds a certain amount of resilience. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you, you live those moments of extreme poverty and you're like, I do not want to go back to this, but if I have to, I know I can do it and I know I can be resourceful. And at the end of the day, like, yeah, I'm still alive. You know, I can still, it, it really, it really, it changes something in the brain. And I think artists have that advantage. Absolutely. Absolutely. They have that advantage. And I think it's, it's the most important advantage, really. Resilience is the most important advantage to have in this, in this industry to begin with. Right. And, and I know that, you know, there's that, obviously that obvious saying of, you know, uh, what does it, kill you makes you stronger, you know, and everybody is, uh, is aware of that. And I'm sure everybody have a version of that. Uh, And I, and, and of course, pain and suffering and all those big, scary words, you know, is relevant to each individual's, you know, existence, but there is something to be said as an artist, um, you know, you can create all you want, but if nobody sees your creation and if it never gets out there, um, you know, it's like a self-prophecy of non-existence. It's like it doesn't go anywhere. So to, so I'm always really impressed with, you know, creators who, my mother was a painter. So I used to, you know, watch her paint and create these masterpieces, but, um, she had to eventually sell them because you know we just had a beautiful house with all her beautiful art, but but uh, that doesn't pay the bills, and it's not uh-huh. just about you know the, the 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 boring factor of paying the bills, but it also is like we do create art to share, um, or at least most of us do. Maybe some others don't, but in general, at least that's my path. I want to share it, and I want I want you know to experience it with others. And when you're in an industry where they don't even recognize you for decades as, as somebody of worth, you know, to be sure that, that, that's a hard blow and that's a hard thing to overcome. And, you know, many have crumbled under that and many have risen, you know, from that. Um, And I, and I hope uh, to continue to rise and I, and I think I'm rising through that. I usually ask this next question nearing the end, but we're kind of, we're, we're parallel to it. We're, we're running alongside it. So I'm going to go right ahead. And it's the question of success. And I'm just really curious to hear about what success means to you. And also 
if there's, you know, we all kind of have a sort of outline of what we want to achieve and how it's going to look like, but I like this idea of failure versus success. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if there's anything that seemed like a, a, was a perceived failure at the time, but actually opened doors and, and created new pathways for you to, to get to another form of success that maybe wasn't even related any, to any of what you dreamt about. Hmm. Well, um, I think, you know, it's, it's a, it's, it's an interesting question because there's definitely, I think I could live that in many different categories. Like, I think I could answer that question based on many, many different things in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, being 19, being pregnant, wasn't necessarily considered a success, <laughs> but uh, then I have the most incredible human being that I call my son, you know? So uh, that's a huge success. And and I know that everybody can relate of, you know, of course you love him, he's your child, but I mean, my child is literally a success story. You know, he is literally an incredible human being. And, and that was uh, obviously a huge undertaking at such a young age with no support system. That's a major success. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's a major yeah. success. I think other You're things done, Mama. within the art world. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah. I think in the art world, it's, it's like, it's like micro failures, you know, that turn into larger successes. You know, um, I think all of us can kind of intellectually understand the concept that every audition is a way for you to get better at your art. And, you know, for every bad show is a way for you to learn to work with, you know, all kinds of forms of different people, even at the end, Mm -hmm. if you hate the show. Like, so there are many of those, there are many of those situations where, um, especially really, well, no, only when I was really young, you know, um, I think in my teens and early twenties where it was kind of painful doing, um, certain, certain shows really, um, just trying to pay the bills and get seen, you know, and just feel so degraded almost in the roles that you'd get knowing that you were quite frankly, probably way more talented than the lead. It actually had more experience and you'd be spoken down to because, you know, you were, you were a day player of the day or whatever, you know, whatever typical uh, story it was. But of course that just made my, it just made me stronger and it made me more determined. And as the years went by, I never let go of that. And I remember, I remember one of the big ones was I was, uh, on a film with with a lot of big names, and I was doing a very very ridiculously small role because even by then I had gotten bigger roles than that. But I was mm-hmm. paying the bills, and I had done this very small role, and um, the the lead actress um, literally walked up to me and said, "This is like way under your skill set, isn't it?" And I was like, wow, like she recognized that, you know, and I was like, yeah, but you know, Hey, I'm, I'm here to support. This is my job. You know, I'm the day player of the day. Got to get her done. And, uh, you know, positive, positive, positive. And I ended up getting us like at lunch or dinner or whatever it was, I ended up getting like a talking to, to the two like huge names in, in film and theater that were on this show 
on this film and they literally sat me down and they spoke to me for like 45 minutes about never giving up, that my talent shines through, that my day will come, that every director and producer always remembers who they hire. Never, you know, you could get rehired for something you did, you know, one year and you felt like you were not even seen and then you'll get the lead the next year, you know, like they, which sounds pretty amazing. (laughs) (laughs) It was. And, and they're really, and they were way older than me and really pros, you know, pros of the game. The whole experience was really magical, but it, but it started like with everyone involved, like everybody treated me um, like, like a real equal. It was, it was quite fascinating. And I remember I had originally auditioned for a much larger part and the woman who had gotten the part, I actually ended up coaching her in private um, on set to get through her scene because she couldn't do it. And we had to keep doing takes and takes. Um, So here I am like coaching one girl who's got the part I wanted. (laughs) I'm doing like a really crappy role. And instead, and and of course I had those thoughts in my head of like, what the frick am I doing here? I'm just wasted. I'm wasting my life away. No one will recognize me. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you could have, but it seems like you also just, you know, you can't, you can't really make that apparent when you're on set. You kind of mm-hmm. just have to go with the, go with what's happening. And it, it seems like you just took the situation in stride and like made the best of it. Yeah. And I think that that's where the, the rules of poverty come in, because the reality yeah. is, is that if I was, if I had been financially stable, I probably wouldn't have taken the role, you know, and instead I took the role. And I end up having this beautiful experience with these professional lead actors telling me that I'm deserving, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it really changed my whole um, film attitude, really, really yeah. did. You really need moments like that, especially when you're young or starting out in a new industry that's so, that can be so cutthroat mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. just at least so competitive and like it's a job interview every day, but Mm-hmm. It, when someone you know when someone boosts you up like that it's it, it makes an impression on you mm-hmm. and it just kind of like it gives you that little oomph to keep on going every single time absolutely and, and I think I, that propelled me into knowing my my strengths and and I think that's another success that has happened in my life that I knew in my 20s especially after that experience when every other girl really in my age group um we're doing all you know kind of like like the undress shows and that kind of stuff like they were doing a lot of you know sexy parts you know so all the 23 year olds playing the 17 year olds (laughs) and and I being like so not part of that world you know and and I kept thinking like I knew it somehow somehow in my head I was like when I can start playing 30 and up when I can start playing you know women roles that will be my niche and you know it hasn't stopped since so I guess I guess I did myself a favor there by not getting depressed and that brings me to the the creation of black wealth media Mm -hmm. um obviously you do a lot of mentorship there can you talk to us about its beginnings how why it started and what you're up to there so one of my best friends that I've known since I was like 14, uh, Henri Pardot, he had been commissioned to 
basically write and and build a documentary piece for Ma TV uh, titled, uh, well, he created it and he created it and titled it Black Wealth Matters. And um, it was an 11 parts mini series, I guess you could say. And it was all based on showing the importance of um, Afrocentric uh, talents in uh, specifically it was in Montreal, but it was to show in all of the categories, everything from real estate to IT to media to all of that. And while he was making it, um, I was, you know, right there with him looking at all of his rushes, you know, just helping him edit, just get some ideas, just kind of being a soundboard for him. And he, he produced it and it really, really spoke to us. Like, you know, this was, this was a small series that obviously, you know, barely any money. He wore 15 hats to build it, you know, as per usual. Um, but him and I would have long talks about it. Because, as he always says, as he was making it, he went back to school because he was meeting all these incredible black, capable entrepreneurs and and well spoken people that you know you would never know you know about, yeah. and yet they're not only financially successful but they're career successful, they're sought after, they're working worldwide, you know, all the great things that you could attach to the word success, um, and yet so unknown because of the way. Uh, were represented basically in multiple different industries. And so he learned a whole bunch of stuff and him and I started talking about it and we, it just kind of hit us. I was like, well, we need, we need a place like that. Like what a, like, yes, black wealth does count and not just financially, mm-hmm. but academically and artistically and culturally. And, you know, and we just started riffing on it and then all of a sudden it hit us. Well, how can we make that a primary factor? How can we make this uh, a real reality? And Black Wealth Media was born. And Black Wealth Media was about first just having this kind of like networking platform where Black artists from all over could find each other and connect with each other and, and you know, kind of like a Facebook thing, but specifically for Afro descendants and, and you know, be able to maybe collaborate in the future and all of that. Um, and so we're building that still. This is like four years in now, uh, because obviously you can imagine a platform like that is hundreds of thousands of dollars. <laughs> so we're still yeah, building that. Um, but but we but we understood quickly that we had the potential to gather all of just even our connections and how and who are connections, who are our main connections are artists. And he and I are artists. He's a he's not only a writer, but he's a phenomenal director. I obviously I'm an actor um, and I produce. And so it just kind of started clicking. And then we realized we needed to create a world where um, other creators who probably have never gotten a real chance because they don't come out of big, you know, professional schools with big, you know, backs and BAs, you know, and all of that, because mm-hmm. uh, they could never afford it, um, but have been creating for 20 years out of their own pocket, you know, with their with their own, you know, tools that they've had and are amazingly talented. And we were like, how do we give them a voice? You know, how do we give that? Well, what do we do? We can produce, we can distribute. That's the biggest issue in Afrocentric uh, art is that a lot of them will go around worldwide festivals and get seen and then they don't get distributed. 
So it just gets put on a shelf. So then we started building that aspect. Well, what good does it do if we create a bunch of art and it doesn't get seen? So then we started taking that platform networking environment that we want to create and understood right away that that the one of the main factors has to be about distribution. So we're kind of building a website that is about, you know, very much at the same facility of communication as a Facebook, but mixed in with almost like a Netflix, you know, so that so that real art gets seen. There's real members that are coming to look for your art. And simultaneously, you could be a guy in New York making hip hop films, looking at a gal in Montreal making Haitian tribal films and like saying, let's do something together. And you can talk directly to that artist. So oh, wow. that's what we're building. That's what we started creating. And of course, you know, yeah. So now we're four and a half years in. We've been, Henri and I specifically have managed to produce a few projects. We've been, you know, we've been getting funding and such to develop a few projects. So we've got a lot of our own stuff on the go. Uh, Henri's, you know, uh, filming right now, shooting one of his films specifically. So, so we're doing our own projects constantly. And then we realized, well, what about the new generation? Because again, it goes back into that economic social reality of not um, of all these beautiful artists behind us who have nowhere to go. Um, so we, that's when we created black ink, which is our mentorship program where we have. Uh, yeah. I wanted, I wanted to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. So we have, we, we built this mentorship program um, to be able to uh, to really give a voice to these young filmmakers who are already creating film regardless you know and but they create film and they have to do all the applications for the you know for the film festivals and if it doesn't go anywhere it doesn't go anywhere and there's no other step after that so the mentorship program we wanted to just find talented people we ended up getting a ridiculous amount of applications uh we chose some really strong people who i know would be filmmakers no matter what because that's just it's in their blood at this point um but what we did is we created like an eight-month program where they got to either continue to explore maybe a script they already had in hand or, or had an idea for or a brand new idea. And we and they flushed out the entire script and then they went into uh, the entire – they did a whole workshop – like a whole sessions of workshops based on script writing – on producing, on directing, on editing. Um, so they did all of those workshops and now they are actually, most of them are in production. Obviously things got delayed because of COVID, um, but now they're in full production. Wow. And uh, soon, you know, hopefully in the next couple of months, they'll all be completed. I'll be doing a launch event so that the world can see them. And uh, yeah. that's I, I think that... That's one of the most, I mean, obviously, like visibility in this world, uh, like with the right in the right ways and ways that are sustainable, I guess, mm -hmm. um, and ethical or aligned is like one of the hardest things, especially like when it comes to production. I mean, I talk about this a lot with with some of my friends where, you know, the people, the stories that are being made, like who's at the head of the stories Crazy. being Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's not a lot of women there's not definitely not a lot of people of color mm -hmm. and so 
you need to be at the at the you need to be at the top somehow. You need to be like signing the checks and signing off the projects for those projects to get off the ground. So I think that like on a producing level, that must be like the one of the trickiest things that obviously you're giving people that that um that opportunity to get their stuff actually produced. It's a huge it's a huge undertaking. Um and it's and it's one that I hope to get only better at and to be able to offer more and more as the years go by, you know. Um uh it's it's a huge undertaking, but it's also it's the amount of work that Henri and, and I and our team do is ridiculous. You know, everybody, even though Henri and I are the bosses, we're still everybody's wearing 15 million hats, you know, because there's just yeah. never enough, you know. Um but it's also essential for us to be in the top playing field to to have a say on that and to, you know, it, it's like, you know, you doing these podcasts and really being interested in hearing women's voices, like our voices have to be heard. And mm-hmm. if we don't ever have an outlet to do that, and and I understand people can go, you know, online and do YouTube stuff and whatever, but it's never going to be the same as when you actually get professional people to take you seriously. It just isn't. And we have to create a market where that is allowed and it doesn't seem like it's an avant-garde idea. And we're not there yet. You know, it needs needs to be normalized. Like there's so much material out there. There's so, you know, there's so much content, but until it's like mainstream, it's still going to be a bunch of white men, you know, older generation. Like it's still going to be this generational you know, box picking of, of the same people telling the same stories. Yeah. And then, you know, and then of course what the, you know, as I'm, as I'm sure artists who are, who are of of color and, and, and allies um, understand, you know, the whole BLM movement is, is about when it comes to art, I'm talking specifically, um, the BLM movement comes into that because it's about, not just listening to us, but stop telling our stories without us involved, right? Yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. So that becomes a huge part. And, you know, there's a there's a huge part of me that would like to stomp around and scream and yell and say, you know, all the things I really feel about certain people in charge. Girl, here's the platform. Go for it. <laughs> but the reality is, is that it doesn't benefit me. What benefits me is to be in charge and, and give space and break down walls and and to continuously nourish myself and others to have a, a, a safe, I hate saying safe place because it's not what I really mean, but to have a place where you can create and to be seen and to be heard, of course. And that's like one of the biggest things, you know, and I'm an, and I'm a tree believer. And I think this has helped women in general. And obviously I can speak to women of color, you know, media and art and, and TV and web and film, it's a huge, huge, powerful tool. So when we get to be there and not, you know, not spoken on behalf of, but actually be, the storyteller and actually be the person, you know, the creator of it. 
it's a huge power tool and it doesn't require violence and it doesn't require hate and it doesn't require pity. It, it is simply to be seen and heard is, is more valuable than, you know, a million dollars. You know, with everything going on, the racial politics of the moment, I know it's not up to black people to tell us white people what to do, because there's a lot of work that needs to happen on our part and a lot of research because there's so many resources out there. Yeah. But I am asking you this out of curiosity and just out of like, I'd, I'd really like your take on what would you, Mariah, like to see happen for change? Like what sort of mobilization, what sort of education, what sort of awareness, what is it that you would like to see happen? Right. Um, well, first and foremost, education is a good one from the very beginning, you know, stop, stop pretending the history didn't happen, you know? Um, uh, but because the reality is that children aren't born with hate. Um, that is a taught you know, a taught lesson. There's no, there's no child born in white supremacy. So we need to start at the beginning and, and that goes on both sides. You know, there, you know, racists exist on both sides. It's not a question that it's just white people. It's just because white people have all the power, you know? So mm-hmm. the, 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 the racial actions are, are, are detrimental, you know, to, to everyone else uh, that they're attacking. Um, but education, a huge one, absolutely. Make it a purposeful teaching, not not just oh, you know, read page thirty. You know, it's right. just covering the bases. Yeah, yeah. Make it purposeful. Make it real. Um, I think the more we can educate the youth, and and it's not just so much about like oh, let the children know. It's it's that the children literally are the next generations. They literally are the ones that are going to change the world, but also the normalcy of it, the more normal it is, then the less it needs to be preached, you know? Um, So education is huge. Um, And, and when it comes to the adult platforms that unfortunately, you know, can't change until adults make real change. You know, it's, it, it, we can't wait another 40 years, you know, it has to happen now. So that is, um, real, real change within government policies, uh, company policies, methodologies, you know, art forms, like there has to be a real change. And it's, it's not about, now, you know, like every time I see something where, where, you know, somebody's writing on Facebook or whatnot, and especially during, you know, the big crisis around George Floyd and, and everybody was, you know, every time a, a person of color would say something that was important to them or meaningful to them, um, I think, I think a lot of, a lot of people don't realize that what we end up navigating is actually the 50 other messages from non-BIPOC people telling us how not racist they are or, you know, how, mm-hmm. you know, how we should accept, you know, like, you know, just, just those comments like all lives matter or white lives matter, you know, yeah. maybe, maybe once upon a time, you know, I always say to myself, maybe once upon a time, the original hashtag should have been black lives matter too. Cause then maybe people would have gotten it um, because it's this constant teaching moment 
And we're at a point now where we don't have time to teach anymore because the world moves too fast and it's not our issue. We live in racism. We overcome in racism. We are constantly the target of racism. This is not our lesson to learn, you know? So, mm. so it is for white people, you know, and I hate sounding so general, but it, it is, it's the reality. It's the people in power. And that is the reality it is for white people to not come and preach to us. It's to preach to each other and it's to teach each other. And mm. you can come to us and say, hey, are we doing it right? I'm okay with that. <laughs> but mm. but it's not for me to, I don't want you to speak on my behalf in front of me because then that defeats the purpose of me having my own voice. So that doesn't benefit me. Um and, and it's not a lesson. I don't need to be convinced if you're racist or not. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, 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 I, it wouldn't matter if you all said you weren't racist. I still live in a racist systemic society. So my reality doesn't change, but it could change if your realities change, right? And your well, acceptance change. I think also if we just stopped um, being so afraid of the word racist mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and maybe like stop dwelling on um, like how bad it is and actually just um, just like learn what that actually means to be racist. Yeah. I think that like one of the things that I've been sort of reckoning with is how much I, you know, whether I like it or not, contribute to white supremacy and benefit from it. And if all my benefits, if all my white benefits were taken away, what would that mean for me in, in a sense? And that's, that's, you know, what people of color go through. So yes, in a sense, I am racist and I don't like it, but I think it's time that we own up to that and then unpack that mm -hmm, for, and, mm -hmm. and stop being like, Oh, you know, stop. I'm not racist. Are you racist? I'm not. My family is a racist. Mm -hmm. You know, like, mm -hmm. and let's just like actually talk about the real conversation of what it means to be racist yeah. and normalize, you know, normalize the word because everyone like just bucks at it and backs away. And then there's no conversation that's had. Well, and that's like, you know, and, and, and the biggest, you know, one of the biggest issues it's, it, it's like when, um, we're, we're constantly saying stuff. We've been saying this now, especially in theater and such, uh, you know, for almost a decade, you know, a safe place, a safe place, you know, and of course yeah. that got really heightened, uh, during the me too movement, right. A safe place, a yeah. safe place. And, um, the black community is actually not interested. I mean, of course, again, this is my opinion, but, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'll be backed up on this. We're not actually interested in a safe place. We're actually looking for uh, space to have ugly conversations. And the, you know, that the conversations need to be had. And it's, it's no longer acceptable um, to, like you said, not unpack the concept of racism and the and the and the conversation that that entails and that goes on both sides too but to actually hear the reason what it actually means where does it come from and to and to be really okay with people saying you hurt me because you do this and mm -hmm. and not it always being a personal attack because like you said you, you contribute to it rather you like it or not because of just the way our system even exists, you mm -hmm. know? Um, and we've never been allowed 
to unpack it without huge consequences. We've been yelling it at the rooftops for a long time, people. (laughs) Um, So things need to change. We all know that. And as women, you know that. And I Mm -hmm. think... I always tell my count my 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 women friends, uh, non BIPOC women friends. I'm always like, it's the same thing as the Me Too movement. You know, that's something that you can relate to of what we're going through. You don't mm. now hate all men, and you don't want men to you know stand up in front of you and be you know your big protector. Although that's a nice thought. Um, I need to be able to stand on my own two feet as a woman and show my own strength. And, but you need to call out your other men, you know, you see them degrading a woman, you best be, you know, telling them that they're wrong. (laughs) You know, you got to teach it within your own groups. Um, And it's the same thing for the BLM movement, you know, like teach your people, tell them they're wrong, have those ugly conversations with them. And until people are willing to actually go there and not just have people like me screaming on the rooftops of how unfair it is and, and becoming the angry black woman, you know, mm. start taking care of your own shit. You know? I have a feeling, unfortunately, with like the, the politics in the U.S. at the moment, I have a feeling that we're going to be seeing a lot mm-hmm. of that going down mm-hmm. in the next few months, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. it's, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's, but, this is never going to change overnight. And so I know no, that the success of this you know, which goes back to what I had originally said at the beginning, I I'm empowered by the potential of change. And I know that the only way I I will never be empowered if I expect change to happen now, it's not going to happen now. Right. It's going to happen over time. Because there needs to to be infrastructure for it, right? Like you have to like tear, tear down the house and then rebuild the scaffolding. And then it has to be, it has to come from like some sort of nurturing place. And like, there can be a blaze, you know, the, the, the bomb fire, mm-hmm. but then it takes time to rebuild on those grounds for sure. Yeah. And we, we have to stop and we have to stop being afraid of it too. You know, like yeah. a lot of people in my community have never been so tired ever. Um, yeah. The, I can imagine. the amount of, you know, we're, we're, oh, it's, it, it's been absolutely exhausting to constantly have to either explain, teach, or defend um, a reality that others don't even live (laughs) and having to defend why it hurts is, is, is absolute ridiculousness, (laughs) but it's been our reality and people are getting angry. Like my anger, I'm, I'm, I've had an extreme amount of anger, like a real, real amount of pain came from the latest BLM movement and, and everyone felt it in our community across the board instantly, but it doesn't come from Floyd being killed. It comes from yet again, another one is killed, right? It becomes, it comes from the exhaustion of yet again. And it's, and it's, I do believe that, that there's a lot of people that have they just have no more patience. And I'm sure a lot of people are being confronted by, you know, friendships that are being rocked, you know, because yeah. uh, the black community is saying the, the, way, the one thing that is clear, change needs to happen. And we're not willing to put this under the rug anymore, you know. And, and, what, is, and what is it like to be a mother raising 
a young man uh, in this what's like a, i'm sure that's a very been a scary lot. it's a very scary reality because um you know the, the like it's a reality in our lives you you literally teach your black children to be submissive to cops or else yeah. you don't know what's going to happen like it's literally a lesson they learn at five, six, seven, eight, ten years old. You don't teach your children to run to the policeman because he's going to take you home safely. Like that's, yeah. that's crazy. And that's literally, and every time we think, you know, and we, and we have to constantly have these, these like weird, you know, almost oxymoron, <laughs> um, um, you know, specifications that we have to give to our child through their childhood of like, you know, stay away from cops. They're, they're men with guns. They, they hate, you know, they, they're very violent towards black kids. Oh, but, but if there's really danger or there's nobody else, then of course go to a cop, but you know, look at the cop, but you know, pay attention to the cop. Is the cop mean? For all the things. Yeah. Like the white message coming is like the cops are there to protect us yeah how do you feel mariah like as an actor because i know that you've played a few cop roles mm -hmm. in your life how, how what what does that bring up for you when you go up for those types of roles oh hatred <laughs> what do you mean in, in what way well, what do you because mean? whenever you get to play a cop especially all the cops that i played you know um it was usually tokenism to be quite honest you know it had nothing to do with talent or uh, you know, a really good part. They don't, they didn't, it's only been recent that they give really good, strong, you know, people of color cop roles. Um, it was always just, you know, fill it for filling the blanks, you know, it was just always like, so, so it felt like I'm, I'm in a blue suit. I'm, I'm, you know, in, in I'm weaponized <laughs> Yeah, and there's right. no real mouthpiece attached to this character that has any real value. Right. Um, and again, that, again, that goes back to like, who's producing, who's mm -hmm. writing, who's financing, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like that, that, that again, that, full circle like how important that is to be elevating the voices that we don't hear yeah absolutely you know I definitely so, didn't mind authority figure characters like when I started playing detectives and that kind of thing but that was way more based on just you know the craft of the actor right like having bigger roles having more you know more to play with uh definitely benefited but you know, then you, then you're the lead detective and you're still doing a story of, you know, a black kid. <laughs> you know? Right. A black kid getting murdered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So last question. It's not really a question. I want you to complete the, this sentence. <laughs> um, Mariah is a vehicle for Holy crap. Okay. Mariah is a vehicle. A vehicle for truth. Ooh, girl, I like that one. <laughs> That's actually mine, but it can be yours too. <laughs> I won't tell if you don't tell. Okay. Okay. I also, I, I, I have this question written down and yeah, I, I I'm going to ask you it just like really quickly. What would you like to tell your younger self? I think uh, I'm worthy. 
I'm I think I think I'm worthy. I deserve to be heard. I'm my best tool to achieve success. I need to believe and I need to be patient. I love that last bit. I mean, I love it all, but that last bit, I need to be patient. That's a really wise reminder. Mm-hmm. Patience. Mm-hmm. Mariah, this has been so cool. Thank you so much. No problem. Thanks for inviting me. And, and, uh, and yeah, thanks for and, doing this. And if anybody wants to get in touch specifically about uh, Black Wealth Media, which I have to say, I love that name so much. I'm, I'm really like, I'm tripping on that name. It's great. Um, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, if they want more information about Black Ink, Encre Noir, Black Wealth Media, what, how can they find you? Well, they can find me directly at Mariah, which is M-A-R-I-A-H, at blackwealth.media. Or they can obviously just go and check out our website and um, at uh, www.blackwealth.media. And of course, just go and look on our Facebook page. There's a lot of uh, beautiful pieces there of our emerging artists with all their uh, promo videos that are up and coming of their films that they're going to be finishing to produce. And you can see not only the talent, but also the caliber and just go and support them and go and see stuff and just stay in touch because we will only be exploding from here. So (laughs) keep looking out for us. I'm so excited to see the rest. Thank you so much, Mariah. No, thank you. Take care. Thanks again so much for being here with us. Merci beaucoup. If you like this podcast, don't forget to rate, review, star, subscribe, share with a friend. See you next time on the Her Story Podcast.